I am here with Chris Schwartz, who I am not going to attempt to introduce. If you don't know who he is, you haven't been on the internet and a woodworker. If you have been on the internet and a woodworker, I appreciate you for only surfing finewoodworking.com. But that changes now. Chris, welcome to uh, this bonus episode of Shop Talk Live. Hi, Ben. It's good to see you again, man. It's been too long. Yeah, it has been. Uh, last time I think we hung out was, I mean, we've run into each other at events, but uh, at the release of the Studley DVD at Woodworking in America, what, four years yeah. ago? Yeah. Yeah, it has been too, it has been too long. So that's yeah. been years. Yeah. Well, you're going to be at Fine Order King Live. Yeah, so that's really exciting. Um, but you know, we don't need to only talk about what's going to be happening at Fine Order King Live. I thought we should actually try and pick the brain of the great Chris Schwarz. <laughs> and the problem with that is you are probably the most open and published woodworker of possibly all time. I mean, you, what do you mean by open? <laughs> you don't have many secrets. Oh yeah, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't have any secrets. So how? how I many, mean, like, how many books have you written now? Ah, uh, five, six, or seven. I don't know. I I should know, but no, five, six, or seven. I think. Let's say that. Okay. And between five and seven books, and you blog daily. Yep. And um, so you've 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 got that going on. You also uh, you. You're a publisher, obviously, for Lost Art Press, and you have you publish books by a lot of people: Matt Bickford, um, Chris Becks, for anybody and everybody, right? But absolutely, um, your your techniques and your know your, your your knowledge has been widely widely shared. But I'm really really wondering: in there, there's got to be something that you regret, be it a project. Or not, not a book, but you know, a technique that that you say, I wish I could take that one back. Oh God, no! There's this podcast would go on for an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you haven't dug back deep enough into the the early days of my magazine writing. Um, I I did. Uh, uh, we used to have to do uh, like 17 projects in an issue when I worked for some other magazine, wow. and uh, so we would end up you know, doing whatever. And I ended up carving bears that looked like pigs and making puzzles that had squirrels in a tree. Uh, we edited piece, a piece called alien on a swing. And you're just going to have to look for that yourself. I'm not going to tell you what that was about, but no, I have, is it I safe have, to Google alien on a swing though? That's, that's the question. <laughs> safe search, Ben, safe search. <laughs> I, know, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> okay. So, so, Besides that early, early stuff, you're you're a man of many opinions, though. So there, there's nothing that that you're like saying. You know, I really wish I I never went there in this book or in <laughs> just, um, just silly projects or. Well, it's mostly silly projects. I mean, we all change as we get older, and I'm not the same woodworker I was when I started when I was 11 or when I took my first woodworking class in you know 1993 or when I started as an editor. I'm a very different person and I hope that I'll be a different person, you know, in 10 years. Yeah. So we all like we all change. I got just read Peter Follinsby's or just edited Peter Peter Follinsby's new book and he kind of opened my head like a can opener on several things that I hadn't thought of as far as like the order that you plane stuff when it's on the bench. And so uh, yeah, that that's going to I'm always going to evolve and keep moving and and that keeps the internet trolls, you know, 
clawing at my heels yeah, the whole time. Yeah. I'm saying that I'm inconsistent or whatnot, but I'm just, I'm, I'm constantly looking for something better. And I don't ever think that the door is closed. Do you ever find that, um, I know for myself, when I go to do a video with a woodworker, you know, we're not working with, with a bunch of hacks, same as you're not working on books. Garrett hack. Well, Garrett. okay. All right. There you go. Well played. But you're, you're, you're not working on books by with, with people who who are whose knowledge is impeachable, we'll say. And um, I'll be at a shop and say, "This is the best way of doing this thing ever." I've you know mm-hmm. I'm I'm amazed by what I'm witnessing. Sure. And I, it it changes my woodworking um, mind. And then all of a sudden, yeah. I go back home and I'm going, "Crap! I need to get a slot mortiser, or I need to get this. I need to get that." <laughs> Do you ever find that as you're working on projects, you 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 change your mindset and it really screws up your woodworking journey. Um, yes and no. I mean, when I'm working on a project and and I'm working on a book or an article, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty well worked out the way I'm going to do it, and I'm going to repeat it five or ten times before I actually document it. Yeah. You know, before I actually st- uh, commit to it. But you're right. Like when I was working with other authors as a magazine editor and doing what you do, I would go to, you know, people like Troy Sexton's place or, or, you know, these, these guys who are really, you know, way, I was playing way above my, my station and learning some amazing stuff and doing the exact same thing, coming home, drinking a beer and unfortunately ordering something, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. is what I do. I was like, I've got to have this because, <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy showed me this, and I saw a guy bolt two table saws together, and uh, and I almost did it uh, as a way to cut tenons. And uh, so I've seen a a meat grinder, a table saw converted to a meat grinder. Uh, I've seen some, I've seen some shit, but <laughs> apparently, we're we're <laughs> a table saw converted into a meat grinder, not a meat grinder converted into a table saw. What? That's no, like- no. It was this really fancy general table saw, and he had installed a meat grinder on top of it. He also hunted deer, and so it ran off of the arbor, and uh, and so he would like with a chain hoist lower the deer into the meat grinder and then the 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 venison sausage would come out not the dust collector which I would was be gonna, all right. <laughs> I know that would be just like I wish yeah but, uh, yeah that it was a, it was I've seen some stuff man it's That's, it's not like it's like Vietnam in reverse man, stuff. woodworking publishing in the 80s yeah, no probably early 90s <laughs> how old do you think I am I don't know I'm leaving that one alone yeah, <laughs> Um, so, all right, besides the, the horrible, horrible things that you've witnessed and, and had to work your way through, you, along the way, you decided to take on tool making because yeah. obviously there's nothing more, uh, of a money pit than running a publishing company. Probably you thought tool making would be the next adventure. What, what you guys are working on lump hammer, um, some dividers. What else is coming out of crucible tool soon? Um, we're just finishing up work on a scraper, a card scraper that I know I'm going to, everybody on the internet's rolling their eyes when I'm about to say the sentence, but, uh, this card scraper shape is just so far superior to anything I've ever used. I can't believe no one's done this before. And it's a very simple tool and, but done very well and uh, water jet to an exact shape. Uh, so you don't have to grind it to an exact shape. And so we're just doing finishing up some work on that. And that'll be really cheap and expensive uh, mm-hmm. thing for people to try. And, of course, we're also going to 
give them the drawing so they can grind it themselves if they don't want to buy it. But this uh, this card scraper was the result of a lot of research back into the history of card scrapers and finding out that they were sold as rectangles for you to shape them the way you were supposed to. They weren't. They're not supposed to be rectangles. And there are also a bunch of other English. Um, uh, accessories from the uh, 18th and 19th century for scraping that work, but not with rectangles. And so it's been, uh, you know, a, a research journey to to to, to find this, uh, you know, where the, the source of this was from. But uh, you know, we'll see. It's it's pretty cool. So, I mean, one one thing that amazes me about what you do is everything is based on historical research. Yeah, and- I mean. And that that informs your modern day woodworking. You're 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 somebody who uses a table saw and a joiner and a planer and all. And so you're you're not afraid of machinery and power tools. You celebrate them, but sure, you still go back and and research whether uh, you know work holding devices of the what 16th century. What was the? We've gone back to Roman times. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, if you could only research and write or just build which would you do i love hypotheticals i love weird inescapable hypotheticals it could happen you know like if i get all my hands cut off or something um i i would absolutely be a builder and uh you know that's that's in my blood it's what i wake up every morning thinking about doing uh but the 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 reason for the, the silly crazy research is that it's like visiting, you know, another country or, or an alien, uh, an alien civilization. Like yeah. we're, we are the Neanderthals and the, the primitives when it comes to working with wood, because, you know, 200, 300, a thousand years ago, everything was made from wood and little bits of metal. So those people knew way more than we do. And it's just kind of hubris to ignore it. Yeah. Uh, it it's hard to find, but it's always uh, results in, in some really valuable information uh, as a starting point. I mean, we're using very modern water, water jet technology to cut these scrapers. And, you know, we're using polishing equipment to create the bright finish that, you know, has never been used, uh, you know, in a, in a historical sense. But it's it's finding the core, you know, finding that little bit of uh, good information is, is you're not going to find it just, you know, in the shower looking at the soap. It's 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 in the books. It's 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 in the past. Well, so so your thirst for woodworking historical knowledge is not necessarily about history. It's about be, being a better woodworker or finding new and better techniques. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that I'm mining them. I mean, they are way smarter than all of us put together. And, uh, you know, you're sitting on the shoulders of, of generations and generations of people who did it for a living and were two weeks away from starving when they did it. So they had to you know, be really efficient. And, and so but this isn't about, you know, wearing puffy sleeves or being a reenactor. All that stuff is really cool. If that's what and, you're into. Yeah, if that's what you're into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not going to judge. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, but gosh, people wear underwear when you do that. I mean, <laughs> wear modern underwear. I don't want to know if you're circumcised. And <laughs> I've been to too many living history museums and seen too much sweat. Uh, and finding out if the guy's... No, you can't. You can't put this on the internet. I'm just. I'm, I'm just stop right here before we start talking about circumcision. Yeah. Oh, I just did. But uh, it's it's informing modern woodworking. I mean, it's that. That's what I'm about. And my work isn't doesn't reflect. I hope 
uh, doesn't look like it's old. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to look to the future with my designs and where I'm taking, you know, my stick chairs and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I'm trying to make it for a very contemporary audience. What's What's been the biggest aha moment um, in your in your research? What, like immediately, I think you're discovering air quotes for the listeners, the, the Moxon vice or, or discovering the mis, misinterpretation of the Moxon vice or this new scar, card scraper design. What, what's the, what's been the biggest, Oh man, why haven't I been doing that for, for my entire woodworking career now? Uh, for me, it has to be uh, building a, you know, an 18th century French workbench. I had been working on, you know, crap. I'd been working on doors, on sawhorses, and I had been working on a, uh, basically a, only a copy mm-hmm. and, uh, that everybody, that's what everybody had and everybody aspired to. And then when I built my first, you know, what we, what people call a Rubo bench, but that's not really accurate. When I built that, it, it absolutely changed the way that I looked at handwork and uh, simplified a lot of things that were very difficult and didn't make any sense and were very cumbersome. So that bench, which I use every day, is is really was the first big aha moment and probably the spark that led me down looking at everything. You know, that's like I said, okay, these people are really fucking smart. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go see what they can tell us. So what – what inspired that? Was it you trying to make the $175 workbench or what, what, what led you down that road? That um, seems so natural to you now. It does seem natural, but it wasn't at the time. Uh, you know, I was carving a squirrel one day and, uh, <laughs> trying <laughs> to fill that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, no, it was a funny story. I think that I was trying to figure out why my workbench, uh, that $175 workbench was still a great workbench and I still have it. Uh, you know, it just, it frustrated me at times. And there, uh, there are some really great books out there about different forms of workbenches, but not a lot about how to use them in a very mm-hmm. efficient manner. And I was visiting Joel Moskowitz, Tools for Working Wood, and we were sitting in his uh, uh, apartment and he was showing me the Rubeau folios. He had a reprint from uh, 1976, and that is a burn on him because I have the 18th century versions. But uh, he was showing them to me, and all of a sudden, we were going through them page by page, and all these fancy French lads uh, were shown, and they were solving all the problems that I was having in these in these drawings. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, holy crap. And so we got to plate 11, which is, you know, the, one of my favorite plates. And there was the, there were the plans. So I went home and, and translated the section, uh, and went to town. And that's, that's, that was, that was it. So you can blame Joel, blame Joel Moskowitz. I don't know. A part of me says blame whoever taught you how to speak French. Cause if you didn't know how to speak French, none of this would have happened. Yeah, that was before Google Translate or anything. And so I was, it was ancient French and my wife speaks much better French than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we worked our way through it, uh, manually with our old, uh, you know, French dictionaries. <laughs> and, uh, so it was, it was, uh, it was quite a, it was, it was very difficult, but it was so worth it. I mean, it was such a rush. Yeah. And, and it's still, it's, you still find that stuff. Do you, There's t- do you have a similar, um, story about, uh, the Roman workbenches or, or anything in that book, which I can never think of work holding device. What was the name of that book? I've got it. Yeah. That's why it hasn't sold very well. (laughs) 
It, it's called ingenious mechanics. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Uh, thanks. And that wasn't a plug. You, you pulled that out of me. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, that, I got to actually hold the oldest workbench. I, I lifted it up. Yeah. Uh, and it was like from 187 AD uh, that had been thrown down a Roman well. And uh, seeing the tool marks that were on it and seeing how it was made and the mortises and getting to you know touch this thing that was uh, 2,000 years old almost was, was uh, an amazing rush. And then building it and then getting to work on it and learning that – uh, what that bench taught me is that you don't always have to stand up to do everything. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes extremely efficient to sit down and work, and you get to use your body in, in different ways. You are a much better clamp than you know, Ben Strano. <laughs> and, um, or maybe you do know. I mean, it's, that's why you well, need to talk. There's yeah. a lot of clamp to go around. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's probably your, your nickname in high school was the clamp, <laughs> the clamp Strano. <laughs> We're going to leave high school nicknames out of this one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the- yeah, so it was it was that it was just fig- figuring out that before modern benches, most people sat down to work because they were they were tired, <laughs> and it, it was a much more efficient way to work. Was 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 that book a fun book to research? Because I mean, you were actually in Europe roaming around with Narayan, right? Yep, we went to Naples, and uh, then we, I went to uh, Germany uh, for that, and did some research in the UK as well. Uh, yeah, how do I, I how do I get to do that? Uh, usually, it's by funding. The funding comes from teaching classes over there. So whenever uh-huh. I teach, I try to uh, tag on a few days to to go somewhere else. But uh, but sometimes you do. It really pays to go to the source. Yeah. And, uh, is it, I mean that's what I learned in you know when I was a newspaper journalist is you know you don't just don't trust you know you have to you have to check it out yourself even if your mom says she loves you you need to check it out. <laughs> Do you see yourself doing more dedicated research trips or? Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm going, I'm going to Ireland uh, in the fall for another book that I'm working on, and it's about Irish stuff. Uh, <laughs> Sneak preview, people. people. (laughs) Yes, don't steal my Irish idea. Uh, So I'm going to Ireland uh, and going back to Wales and going to Devon, uh, mostly for some chair research Mm -hmm. uh, to to, to further that. There are some big holes in the uh, historical record that I want to fill. So yeah, I love to do that. So you, I mean, you are on a chair kick. Are you done with 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 flat work? Is it boring to you now? No, this this right here. Oh. <laughs> this is, that is a huge campaign chest that I'm building for a customer. Um, no, I have I've been on a chair kick since the '90s, and I had just never felt the confidence. Well, well chairs are so freaking hard. I mean, you have to be a genius like Peter Galbert to just you know come out and be all awesome and stuff. And so I built my first stick chair in 2003 and it it was horrible. Uh, And so I've been uh, for the last, what is that? 15, 16 years uh, studying it, but not really talking about it. You know, I've just been kind of doing my own thing. Uh, It's cropped up here and there in, on the blog. And I've shown a few of the chairs, but it wasn't really until the last couple of years uh, when I finally saw the fact that we could republish John Brown's book on Welsh stick chairs and do a biography on him that uh, I finally said, well, hell, I just need to like pull my pants down and show what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, chair kick is it's been it's been kicking for a long time. So, I mean, you you talk about your first chair not being great. How, how many chairs in does it take? Because I 
I, I made a box chair in a class. Oh, yeah. I saw it. It was awesome. Thank you. And and I had nothing to do with that, really. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> you were there. I was there. I witnessed like your it. first child's birth. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But um, I, 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 I'm hesitant to try it again because I'm going to fall flat on my face. I know it. And I do have to tell myself, no, you're going to fall flat on your face no matter what you do. So you might as well get those out of your system now. How many? Yeah, it's like it's like bad dovetails. It's like everybody's born with exactly you know six hundred and forty bad dovetails in their hands, and you just have to like get them out. Yeah, by yeah. By, by dovetailing. Uh, chairs are are. I mean, if you do a really fancy Windsor, uh, I know you you did uh, Jeff Lefkowitz's yes, class. Is that and, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, him and David Duyard. Yeah. That's a pretty high ranking chair. I mean, it's pretty awesome and pretty involved with all the setups and yeah. everything. To uh, you know, but more of the chairs what I do are kind of. You know, people, you know, drunk uh, Irishmen gluing sticks together uh, is sort of m- what my chair thing is. So if you pick it, if Did you, pick you just it easier, announce the name of your next book? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, don't steal it. Don't steal it, Matthew Teague. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you pick a simpler chair and work your way up uh, to, to Peter Galbert uh, levels, then you'll, you'll do much better. What I did when I, when I finished, I took a chair class up in Canada so that nobody in the United States would, would know. Just, you know, did it under the cover of uh, Canadian bacon. And then uh, came back and then immediately built another one. Uh, mm-hmm. That was kind of, I think, what cemented it in my mind was not letting too much uh, you know, time pass. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that chair was so horrible that I, I couldn't, you know, I've kept it for many years. I finally just gave it to a friend under the promise that he would never show it to anyone. And then you just, but I could see where I needed to go from there and, yeah. ha, and have built, I think I probably built about 10 chairs in that style before I felt like I was getting it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then after that, you know, now it's all refinements and every chair looks awful to me, just like every piece of furniture I build looks like uh, looks like crap to me. I can see all I see are mistakes. But that's true with any woodworker, except, you know, the people who work for your magazine. Um, <laughs> and uh, but I just see mistakes and uh, but they look good enough to sell. And so uh, so that's good enough. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can quote Mike Peckvich when I said when he said there's only or there's at least one drawer that's that where the dovetails are tight enough to take a picture of. And there's always one. There's, there's one. And <laughs> there, there's one. Yeah. But so, all right. So you you were the type of person to just jump in and keep doing it. Your publishing background, where you were making seventeen pro, not you weren't making seventeen projects for each issue yourself, but you were a part of many where you were forced to just keep building. Do you think that that plays into your mentality of like, no, just just jump right back on that horse and keep going? Well, yeah, yeah, we had no choice. And I also came from, you know, I came from a newspaper background, which was basically we were mandated to to write 500 byline stories a year or, you know, you wouldn't. Wow. You, you wouldn't stay on staff. And so that's where my, that's where everything started for me is like, you have to like, you have to do it every day. You have to keep at it. You have to, no matter what, even if it sucks, because, you know, when you're a newspaper person, Mm -hmm. every story you write is wrong the next day. And so you have to start all over again. Uh, and, and so I got very used, very accustomed to failure and being wrong, being a newspaper writer. And I think that's where that attitude comes from in furniture work is that you have to do the work every day. It's okay to fail. You, there's always tomorrow and, uh, just don't end up with a stick in your butt. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's gonna, that's the motto. So, yeah. uh, 
So, so, so that, I mean, it's funny because that that actually plays into something I was thinking about where in in newspapers, and the same is true for you know social media, where it's it's very temporary. It's there yeah. forever, but the information is very temporary. And the the likes or whatever is is very very temporary. Do you feel that social media has put put negative pressure on woodworkers these days? Because you see so many people posting. Like honestly, Brendan's walking around behind you. Brendan's feed makes me depressed sometimes because he's <laughs> so prolific and yeah. building at such a high level consistently. It's like man. This, you know, I, I'm never going to get to that point. And I'm constantly comparing myself to Brendan Gaffney's or Mike Pekovich's or, you know, all sorts of people like that. And at times I yearn to be just an, an anonymous woodworker again, where like social media isn't a part of my thing. I'm just a guy in the shop. Mm -hmm. um, does that ever play into your mentality? You, you are um, constantly publishing. You, you, you don't publish your social media every day, but you, you write every day. Um, you're always doing something, putting yourself out there. Do you ever yearn to be just an anonymous woodworker again? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, of course I do. It's once you let the genie out of the bottle, you, you sort of have to keep going. And, uh, you know, our Instagram presence and our Twitter presence and our blog is the, the backbone of our publishing Mm -hmm. uh, industry or our, our publishing company. And so you have to, we try to show other people's work. Uh, and like, the, and that's the other thing is just, we try, I try to make social media, not a completely narcissistic experience mm -hmm. uh, all about me. And that's why our feed is, uh, as much about our authors and about what they're working on and, uh, and not just our, my work. I don't always show all my work on, on Instagram or on the blog. Um, but, uh, I, I do hear a lot of people who are, you know, they, they get up, uh, not upset, but they get depressed seeing, uh, everything on Instagram that is just picture perfect. But I promise you that the world's not that way. Uh, not even if, you know, you're Christian Bexford or Garrett Hack, we all are going to have mistakes. And, 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 and I think that you can prove this to yourself by just getting out of your own shop and going to a museum or going to a furniture show and actually looking at real high end work up close. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's good. And it's good to see that, to see what, what, you know, level you have to get to. But I've seen tear out on, uh, people's, you know, tables that shouldn't, you know, you would be surprised to hear their names mm -hmm. and, uh, and they, they have little, uh, they're human too. And so it's, it's very encouraging and, uh, you know, it's medicinal almost to, to see it and say, oh, okay, well this guy, everything looks perfect on his feed or in his book or in her, uh, blog, but really, you know, she, she's got, she's got issues too, like we all do. Cause it's, it's wood and we're people. Yeah. Speaking of seeing things in person, you're going to be a Fine Order King Live, and yes. people can see you and your issues in, in person. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm bringing, I'm bringing one of my chairs for you to mock. I, I saw that. Now, Michael Fortune's going to be there. We're going to make sure he sits in it. You're, yes. You're, you're, yes, you're okay with that? Too. All right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, you're going to be teaching your staked non-trigonometry non method of building chairs and yep. you've, you've been perfecting this for years and years and years, right? 
This is something, yeah, I mean, I've, there's been so many ways that people do compound angles, and I've learned every way uh, from the very beginning. And this relates back to uh, some research that I did at Old Salem and uh, learning about uh, how to do sight lines and resultants and trigonometry tables without numbers or, uh, or math or trig or anything, because you know, there's, there was a pre-trig society and they did very high-end work. And so it was basically trying to build, build a, a wave to get to that. You know, mm -hmm. how, how, do we, how do we behave like them to make it easy for us? And I found a way that does it with almost no tools, uh, no, no trig tables, no calculator, no numbers. And uh, it allows you to copy uh, pieces in a museum. It allows you to design new pieces uh, with without you know having to be fancy. People think that designing chairs is difficult, uh, but getting the basic angles really isn't with this method. So, uh, yeah, I've been working on it for a long time, and and I hope that people don't throw rocks at me. Uh, it it's a woodworking conference, so it'll be wood if anything's oh. thrown at you. <laughs> well, um. Are you uh, more of your authors are going to be there? So uh, Matt Beckford's going to be there uh, yep. talking about hand planes. Um, it's, talk about one thing that you learned from Matt while working on his book. Oh my God, Matt's book was. I had to beg Matt to do that book. Uh, really? Oh well, th th you have to understand. Matt and Peter Follinsby were my first two outside authors, really, and uh, so I had to take them out to dinner. And then I found out that Peter Follinsby doesn't drink, and uh, so it was Why really does hard. Why he to act him. that way? <laughs> he was, well, it was hard for me to get him drunk and and convince him to kind of sign a contract. But I was at the very beginning of my career when we did those uh, with Lost Art Press when we mm -hmm. did those books. So I had to like sort of beg them, and I'm glad they did. But Matt had had. Uh, come up with the way to to think about moldings and execute them that was so different than everything I had ever read in the old books. And, I, you know, I'm sure that his method, which is near perfect, you know, using uh, creating rabbits and creating chamfers to guide the hollows and rounds, I'm sure that that's somewhere, that's how they did it because it's, it's freaking foolproof. It, it's, it's gotta it's, be. Yeah, but because I mean Matt's a bright guy, but no, no, I mean he's, a, <laughs> but uh, no, no, he's, I mean he he put it all together, and and that was, and the real thing is like how do we stretch out this one great idea into a book? And he did it because uh, he included a lot of uh, historical examples and and how to how to mimic them. But uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, that that book really has changed the way I do I do moldings and and changed the way a lot of people do them as well. What about Christian Bexford? What, what, what was something that, that surprised you when you were editing his book? Um, wow. I mean, he uh, Christian is exactly what Christian says. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no uh, there's no opacity to the man. He, <laughs> okay. I mean, he is just and and meeting him and getting to spend some time with him and reading his book is just like, well, no, this is. Christian Bexford in word form. It and really so is. it is. And reading it, we we did everything we could to keep the Christian Bexford uh, uh, you know, tone of voice and straight up kind of straight at you, no BS kind of thing. And uh, and so it was I was so happy that he could write like he thinks and teaches and builds. And that was the 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 big, you know, that was the the joy in that book was that it really is Chris distilled into into this this tiny, tiny vial. So you, you were able to keep the essence of of him because I I read it on a on a flight just a few days ago. 
And um, it really was like, I was reading it in his voice. You know, it really was cool. like, oh, I know he's snarling that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> there should be an emoji in there that's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. If Christian Bexford had an emoji, what would that be? Um, so what about uh, Nancy Hiller? Nancy's going to be there. She's going to be talking about arts and crafts furniture. You, are you working on something with Nancy right now? Yeah, Nancy is working on a book for us on uh, kitchens. And uh, we're, right now it's tentatively titled Kitchen Think which is probably not going to end up that way, but it sounded like having a list and kitchen sink, but we'll stop that. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's about, uh, you know, trying to take our lost art press approach to rethinking things that are assumed. And so it's trying to turn the world of uh, kitchen renovation upside down and uh, making you rethink uh, remodeling uh, or completely gutting your kitchen, which is a real wasteful consumerist approach and uh, showing how Nancy thinks about, uh, thinks about, cabinets and designing kitchens and what she likes and what she doesn't like and how to do storage that is straightforward, that is not, you know, silly, that involves a thousand little pieces of wire. Uh, so it's it's going to be a great book. I mean, Nancy's a fantastic writer yeah. and is sort of in the Christian Brexford vein of, um, you know, no flies on her. She's going to give it right to everybody. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to come out uh, next year. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to let you get back to it because you said that you were in the process of gluing up some, some chair seats for a class that you have coming up on Monday. But real quick, why did you feel the need to take on a woodworking school? I know you're not going to call yourself a woodworking school, but you've, you, there's a lot of classes going on in your is, – is it your home now? Uh, we're moving up in July upstairs, okay. uh, so it's getting there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the the real truth answer. The real true answer, and I won't you know I won't lie to you, is that you know when uh, my friend Brendan Gaffney and Megan Fitzpatrick uh, left their job, uh, I was trying to create something that would help them make mm -hmm. income, uh, so that they wouldn't end up. I'm on my doorstep or uh, working at Woodcraft or, uh, or worse, working at McDonald's. And so it was never my desire to offer classes here, but it seemed a logical way to uh, help them with uh, their careers. And boy, the, the, the students or who, whatever we call them, they love it and they fill up very quickly. And so it turned out to be a really good idea that I was just being pigheaded and resistant to. So um, it's working out well. Do you see yourself teaching more? I know you've you've taken a step back from teaching, but do you see yourself teaching more now that it's it's easy to do it considering you have everything all in one place, you don't need to travel, you could be with your family at the end of the night? It is easier and I, I probably will have, you know, keep a limited teaching schedule. I enjoy it. It's important. It makes me uh makes me a better uh, researcher and woodworker because I'm challenged by these people uh, because a lot of them are really smart and uh, and challenge what I do so it's it's good I just have to make sure it doesn't get out of control yeah. and, uh, and and take over and because when I stopped teaching I was teaching 18 uh, 18 weeks out of the year and that's just crazy that's like Amway you know yeah. being on Amway circuit so I had to dial it back and and you know if I teach four classes a year then I'll I'll probably be happy. That, that sounds like a nice balance. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us here. And cool. we'll look forward can to seeing you. you. Huh? Yeah, can I, can I ask you one thing? Can yeah. I ask you one question? So, like, you know, my whole thing with, with coming to Fine Woodworking Live was, you know, there's this big fear that, like, you guys are just pranking me. 
Like it's like I'm going to get there and you're going to be like, nah, yeah, we, we, you're not really invited. And like <laughs> put me well, put me in, put me in a dunking tank, maybe or short sheet my bed. <laughs> I mean, can you give me any insight as to like, am I really am I really on the list? You're you're really on the list. <laughs> Just wish list. <laughs> Bring a broom. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Extra underwear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, we're on cleanup duty. Um, but no, it's, we're, we're looking forward to having you there. It's, it's a cool thing that we're able to do this now. It, it's amazing to me how people felt like, like it was the world caving in that you'd be coming to find working live, but there's the publishing world is small. There's no need for, for, for anything to to stop you from coming to our event i mean so of course the second it became a possibility we we knew that we wanted you there and we're really excited that you agreed to come so thank you for that oh god no i'm i'm happy to be coming and uh as i think people should find out that yeah the publishing world is small and we all know each other a lot better than uh you know than it seems i mean it's we're all on the same side which is trying to keep our jobs yeah and trying to keep trying to keep doing this for the rest of our lives yep yep well game on thank you again chris um and say hey to megan say hey to brandon and uh we'll see you in april yeah say hello to everybody there and i'll see you guys in april all right still there Chris? i'm still here All right. yeah i can hear everything including the noise your stomach just made no i just ate tacos so i'm not hungry oh that is a different noise <laughs>